Hey there, thanks for checking out The Best Kind today. This is a series where we learn from Baltimore's helpers and their journeys in kindness. And we look for things in their stories that we can pick out that maybe we can all learn from to make our lives better together. I'm Josh Morgan, and in this episode, I'll be talking with Rudy Ruiz. Rudy is a former teacher, and he's devoted his career to getting young adults ready for life after high school. So that includes things like getting ready for college, getting ready for their careers, uh, and then just getting ready for life itself. But now he's working on the national level with students and educators to make schools across the country more inviting places to learn and teach and just come together. But talking about Rudy's education background only scratches the surface of who he is as a person. In all honesty, I can say he's one of the deepest people I've ever interviewed on a podcast. But I talked with him about why he's devoted his life to encouraging others and helping people crush their goals. Let's get into it. The Best Kind is on YouTube if you'd like to watch the video version. Or if you'd prefer the audio version, you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe for new episodes at bestkindpod.com and sign up for the email newsletter while you're there. I'll be sharing updates from our guests in that newsletter, as well as new episodes on the 15th of each month. So check out bestkindpod.com to sign up. I'm trying the newsletter thing instead of social media for a few different reasons. So I hope to see you there. But for now, uh, put this episode on in the background of whatever you're doing, and I hope you enjoy the show. I started developing the idea for a new podcast about Baltimore's helpers a couple of years ago. And as I thought about the people who I was interested in talking to for a project like this, I put Rudy Ruiz's name at the top of that list. That's because Rudy is one of a handful of people who helped me get my foot in the door in the city. Um, my, my wife and I moved here in 2016 and we didn't know anybody. But, you know, we did meet a few people uh, that sh- that my wife was familiar with who uh, who told us uh, another name they had for Baltimore was Smalltimore. And, you know, maybe you've heard that name, too. Uh, I guess it sort of implies that Baltimore, you know, in some ways has a small town feel, even though it's, you know, we're in this large metropolitan area. Uh, and it especially holds true for when you start networking with people here, uh, you know, it it really does seem like, especially in certain sectors of our city that, uh, the people working here, you know, everybody knows everybody and that can be a good thing. Uh, so in my case, I had a nice lady, uh, named Sarah McCann. Hi, Sarah, if you're watching, uh, she passed my resume, uh, over to Rudy Ruiz because I was looking for, um, something in the education sector in the city. And he was working at Baltimore city public schools at the time. So, Rudy did not know anything about me other than what I had written about myself in a PDF that someone he was acquainted with, you know, sent him over email. But, you know, Rudy at least spent a few minutes trying to think about, you know, where this stranger would be a good fit. And, you know, he sent my resume along. Um, You know, I got an interview from that and got my first job in Baltimore. Um, Like I said, really helped me get my foot in the door. And that was that was the opportunity that helped me and my wife uh, find stability here in the city. So I'm always going to be grateful to him for that. But, you know, as I was putting the idea for the best kind together, uh, pulling together resources and things, 
uh, I started thinking about Rudy and I, I wondered, you know, if, if he did that for me as a complete stranger that he never met, how many other people has he done that for? How many other people in his network has he gone of his way to, to help? Like he's, he's one of those people that he seems to know what people around him need before they even know they need it. And that's something I really admire about Rudy. It's, it's really tough to, to try to summarize Rudy, uh, you know, like in his job title or just like a few short keywords, but I, I think I'll, I'll do my best here. I'm going to list a few bullet points that I think summarize Rudy pretty well. He's, uh, he's led a pretty deep life and I think he's affected a lot of different people, probably more than he knows. Um, I've never heard a bad word spoken about him, but you know, I, I, I should stop and go through my bullet points because I can be a real fanboy when I'm talking about Rudy, or at least, you know, uh, maybe I am. <laughs> I kind of feel that way when I talk about Rudy, but I, I really admire him. And I think that'll come through in this episode. Rudy grew up in a wrestling family and won several accomplishments in the sport, including three state championships uh, in high school. He's now the board chair at an organization here in Baltimore called Beat the Streets, which is part of a larger national network. Beat the Streets, uh, we'll talk about this a little more later, but it's a nonprofit organization that helps establish uh, wrestling clubs and supports athletes in public schools here in Baltimore that are looking to get into wrestling as, as an extracurricular sport. He's also proud of his Latino heritage and supports a variety of efforts related to Latino students and educators of color. And that's something else we'll be talking about later in our conversation. He's also turned his passion for teaching young adults into a career. Uh, like I mentioned before, uh, he's particularly focused on college and career readiness and uh, also life readiness. But he's done that now um, on a national level uh, through different policies and different programs, different pilot projects. Um, and he, he is the vice president and partner at Four Point Education Partners, which is a national consulting group, and it has an impressive portfolio of clients across the country. Um, we'll get into that, too. Uh, Rudy's on several different uh, boards of nonprofits. He's on several different work groups, including uh, one for Mayor Scott here in Baltimore. And it, there's too many of those to mention, to be honest. I feel like I'd do a disservice if I tried to list everything because I'm sure I'd miss some. But he has his fingerprints on a lot of different causes, and it's super cool of him to do that. Um, he's also working on his doctorate uh, in education at Hopkins. And then I think he would put above all of that, he's a father, he's a husband, and uh, he's a son. Um, and he talks very uh, glowingly about his family. Um, he has three kids. Um, and I, I'm leaving out a lot. But one bullet point that I think that I think about him that impresses me the most is his character. So, you know, I'll be talking with him in a moment, but I, I think the, the way he comes off in this conversation is the only way I've ever seen him. He's, he's super composed. He's super calm. He's super confident. And he always has something positive to say. I've never heard him say a negative thing about anybody or anything. And, he often, like I said before, he often knows what people need before they do. He's, he's like a master networker. He believes in this concept of something called collective impact, which uh, emphasizes that people work better together, which I, I totally relate to. Um, but, 
you know, needless to say, I, I could keep going on and on about Rudy, but I'm super grateful that he made time to talk with me. You know, he's got a busy schedule. Um, talk to him a little bit before Christmas. And, you know, I, I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Here's Rudy Ruiz. I was thinking of starting this conversation um, with a couple of things uh, in our time together uh, that have inspired me about you. And, you know, as I say, these two things, you may be like, what, what is he talking about? <laughs> but um, I just wanted to share with you just to kind of get your perspective. But the first thing, and this is sort of like an off the wall sort of weird thing is, you know, we were in a few meetings together, mostly like 2016, 2017, that time period when you were at Baltimore city public schools. Yes. And I, I remember like, you know, just kind of looking around at everybody um, that was in those different meetings. Um, and I was at Baltimore's promise at the time at the time, um, nonprofit organization here in the city. And I, one thing I noticed about you right away was your shoes. <laughs> um, everybody, including me, like we all had like very like dressy kind of shoes, but you had, and I don't know if you remember these shoes, but like uh, they were like black shoes that had like white soles. Right. <laughs> and I don't know what stuck out to me about those shoes, but and this is the weird part about this for me anyway, is there have been times since then when I've been in other meetings or like high pressure situations. And I'll think back on that and I'll I'll be like, well, Rudy was relaxed and he's a high, he's often in like high pressure kind of, you know, situations. And I just think about you wearing those shoes and it's like, I, I need to be like Rudy right now. So I don't, I don't know if that's really some great. conscious thing you're going for, but <laughs> I just thought I'd share like, you know, we all kind of have those unintended effects on each other. So that that's something that's one positive thing that you you've affected me with is your shoes. So. I just want to say that's really really sweet. And I appreciate your, your sharing that, you know, there's that notion that, you know, someone that you don't even realize is, you know, admiring something about, you know, what you're doing. Um, And I really appreciate your, you know, sharing that example to illustrate that for everybody. Sure. Um, And then the, the second thing about you that, that I've admired um, from a distance is, and, and well, and not actually from a distance because this has actually like impacted my life too, is, to me, you seem like the kind of person that reads, you know, you read your social network and you're able to see opportunities that pop up and you're able to say, oh, well, you know, I know this person, they would probably be a good fit for that opportunity. And I don't know if that's a skill that you've like consciously cultivated, but that's something I'd really admire. And, you know, to whatever extent I can, like, I, I often think like, you know, Rudy's good at networking. Like I just, I enjoy that approach you have to being, you know, having the confidence and, and, you know, the, the empathy for others that you want to help make your network more efficient like that. And is, is that something that you've been aware of? Uh, absolutely. It's, it's something that I've uh, kind of grown into more. So I guess in the, the second half of my, my career mm-hmm. um, and uh, love to, to share more, shed some light on, you know, some of what has uh, influenced me on a couple of those points that you shared already in terms of my background, my, my upbringing and, and some of my experiences. But, you know, a lot of it kind of comes down to the fact that, you know, we're hardwired for connection. And I think that the world needs a lot more encouragement, which uh, of, 
you know, the different uh, skills that I've been working to develop over the years, I do feel that, you know, the greatest gift that I have to offer is the gift of encouragement. So um, I like to, to cultivate that and find ways to, um, to do more of that. Uh, and even in some ways that we'll talk about maybe later, um, which some folks would describe as, as doing that at scale. <laughs> <laughs> have, and I imagine you've had several people in your life that have kind of done that for you, like seen opportunities and said, Hey, you would be a good fit for this. Um, and we could talk more a bit about that later. Um, one, one aspect of your story that really touches me is it, it seems like you're really close with your family, particularly like your dad and your uncle. Um, how, you, you know, you, I think you grew up in the Milwaukee area. Is that correct? That's right. You know, was it in Milwaukee or was it like a suburb of Milwaukee? Yeah. So, uh, you know, great, you know, place to start the conversation because that's definitely, you know, part and parcel of, of, what has made me who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents were just visiting, uh, this weekend for the, uh, partly for the Packers versus Ravens game. So we had a chance to to celebrate. We had, uh, you know, my, my son's birthday. So it was kind of his, um, his, his part of his birthday gift essentially. And oh, nice. I, you know, I had a chance to see them over the holidays, which is great. So are you still a uh, Packers fan or have you converted over to being a Ravens fan? Yeah, the, the boys are definitely diehard Packers fans, I have to admit. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I see. I'm kind of uh I'm kind of uh you know, I got dual dual uh you know fan base here. Oh, I can answer um, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But part of what why I bring that up too is, you know, we exchanged uh, you know, Christmas gifts a few days early with their their being here for the weekend. So the uh the, the gift that my mother gave me was a little t shirt that says uh, alumni of Camp Pendleton. And so uh, Camp Pendleton is where I was born in Southern California on, on Marine base. My dad was, um, a Marine is a recon Marine. Um, but when he got, uh, assigned to go out to Okinawa, when I was just two years old, we moved back to my parents' hometown of Milwaukee. So uh, I grew up in the inner city of Milwaukee, um, on the near so- South side. Um, if you've seen photos or ever been to Milwaukee, you'll recognize the, what had been the, the world's largest four-sided clock, uh, which is right near the downtown. So that's what I would see every morning when I look out the window. So just a couple blocks from there. Okay. Um, and so at the time though, we were, you know, a low income household, you know, my, when my dad got back from the Marines, um, it was uh, essentially during a recession, you know, couldn't, couldn't find work uh, for a couple of years. So we had some very rough um, times and that really, um, you know, obviously was a big part of my growing up was, you know, working through that and um, understanding, you know, and gaining appreciation for uh, all the little things, uh, especially family. So um, over the years, it was interesting because um, I'm not sure, are you familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's uh, book, Outliers? Yes. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's interesting in my reflecting back on my own upbringing is the fact that, again, um, you know, materially, we had we, we had kind of very little growing up during my childhood at the time. Um, but one thing that we did have was actually a really interesting bit of uh, social capital and the fact that uh, the sport of wrestling has been in my family for over 50 years. You've probably seen little snippets of that here and there. Um, and that's kind of continued. So my father was a, a state finalist uh, at the high school level. Um, and then I had at the time uh, uncles on both sides that had been state champions. Um, and then even where we live geographically, it's akin to some of the stories in Outliers because um, 
my home was just, uh, like I said, being near downtown, uh, just a couple miles from Marquette University, which uh, hosted, was home to um, what is one of the top wrestling clubs now in the country. Uh, we've generated, you know, a couple Olympians and and others, a lot of national champions, including myself. Um, and so while we didn't have, um, you know, a lot in terms of income, we did have some, some access to some special opportunities that I leaned into. And then two miles in the other direction, there was another club that kind of got me started before that one. Um, and so just had a lot of uh, access to high quality um, coaches, but then also high quality, uh, you know, teachers and mentors over the years. And so, um, you know, when I was just five years old, I got to see uh, my youngest uncle actually win a high school state championship. And that really inspired me to get um, into the sport and just really, you know, kind of fell in love with it. So I've been kind of a, uh, you know, a scholar athlete all my life, if you will. And that's like a, one little piece of the the uh, the shoes that you saw <laughs> was, you know, having those uh, those types of shoes. Um, but but also, you know, again, just a lot can be gained through, you know, the sport of wrestling, but also for myself, not only developing traits like, you know, self-discipline and being able to, like you said, handle pressure at a, at a high level, but also giving me um, access to some different options after high school. So uh, I'll pause there and, and see if you have any uh, probing questions or if you want to take the conversation in a certain direction. Sure. Well, I, I was actually listening to what you were just saying, and it makes me curious because I know a lot of the work you do now is related to students that come from lower income backgrounds or, you know, yes. they face certain socioeconomic challenges. And it sounds like something that benefited you, even though you came from that same sort of situation was it, it, you had, uh, you know, strong support system, particularly your family and your coaches, but then also like the, the sport of wrestling helped keep you motivated and taught you discipline and some other things that you could take and, you know, use in other areas of your life. Um, yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's really inspiring because, you know, having, having interventions like that can help, um, you know, someone like in your situation, you know, raise up and become like the person that you are today. That's really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, I've tried to do since that time. Um, and I had the chance, you know, to have some really great options, uh, like I said, coming out of high school. So what ended up feeling like the best fit for me, um, was I ended up being a first gen college grad from, from Sanford university. Um, and even, you know, back then, you know, 21 years ago, uh, living in Silicon Valley was very expensive. And then in terms of my, my family background, like you alluded to, um, I literally had, you know, 50 first cousins in Milwaukee. And so I said, well, <laughs> I've got, you know, it was, like I said, 20 plus years ago, but I actually had a, a work from home uh, position and it was basically uh, able to email my work in and realize, hey, you know, if I'm emailing my work in, why not do that from home? And so we moved, my wife and I actually uh, uh, got married before I graduated. And so uh, we moved back to Milwaukee and was ha happily working from home, you know, emailing my work back to California um, for that first year and being somewhat naive about the circumstances ended up at the end of the, that uh, that year where they said, oh, you know, great job in that one year contract, you know, good luck with the rest of your life. <laughs> uh <-oh. laughs> and so uh, it gave me, a, gave me a chance to explore some, some new options. Um, but all of what I've tried to do, you know, since that time is to, to give back um, both as a coach um, and also as an educator. And so 
uh, would love love to you know tell you more about how that's evolved over these last twenty plus years. Yeah. So after Stanford, you came back home, like you said. Uh, is is that when you started teaching? Like, was when I know you went to Stanford on a wrestling scholarship, um, but did you have teaching in mind when you went to Stanford, or were you? Did, did you have a major in mind, or were you just kind of exploring your options? Yeah, it's a really uh, great and, and kind uh, question, the, the way you phrased it. Uh, <laughs> and I think <laughs> it's also a great uh, cue up around one of the questions I think you had in mind around, you know, what motivates, you know, my work with supporting uh, options for high school students and making sure that they have um, the resources and support to explore different options. So for myself, you know, I had this mindset, which, you know, I think a good portion of students have of you know, if I, if I work hard in school and I study and I get good grades, everything will work out. And I don't necessarily uh, have a specific plan in mind, but it'll work out. Uh, and so, you know, it was pretty much throughout high school, you know, a straight A student. Um, I actually was a valedictorian um, of my high school. Oh, I didn't know that. And, yeah. And so um, on the one hand, that was all, you know, great. Um, on the other hand, you know, I didn't really have a specific career trajectory in mind uh, growing up um, throughout elementary school. You know, I had had an early conversation with um, a teacher, probably back teacher and family, probably back in like second grade. Uh, they're like, oh, you're you're you like and are good at art and you uh, like and are great at math. Put those two things together. Architecture will be a great option for you. Um, so that was um, my thinking for a long time, even going into high school, which is part of the, the reason for my high school selection. Um, but once I started getting a little bit into it, uh, looking at it at high school level, I said, well, this is this seems actually a little bit boring to me. Uh, let me think about something different, but not necessarily something specifically different. So again, thought, I just at had you caught it early on and you didn't go full <laughs> into that career path before you true, learned true, that. True. But the second iteration of that was, uh, you know, just again, being very naive and kind of, you know, hearing and thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a strong student and, you know, people who are really good at school, you know, some options, some good options and best options for them would be, you know, to be, you know, a doctor or a lawyer. So a doctor sounds more interesting to me. So I'll just do that. And not not really thinking about anything specific in the medical field, but just like this general notion. Um, and so when I got to uh, Stanford and, you know, kind of defaulted to that track um, and got into the lab, I was like, wow, this is, this is really boring. <laughs> and I don't like this either. Uh, and so I uh, ended up really exploring um, and kind of falling in love with uh, the field of linguistics. And so my major was actually sociolinguistics um, as far as my family history is concerned. And the reason that there was a personal connection there was that um, my family is part of what they call Los Primeros, the first ones uh, in Milwaukee. Hmm. So my family is coming up on our 100th anniversary of um, having moved uh, basically from um, Mexico to Milwaukee. And so uh, we were part of essentially the very first wave of immigrants uh, nearly a hundred years ago. Wow. And, um, but of course, during the time that uh, my grandparents were uh, beginning to, you know, raise my parents' generation, uh, there was a lot of stigma against, you know, not speaking English in public. And um, so basically in the linguistics field, we call that, you know, language shift or language loss. Um, so basically my parents' generation um, and my family don't really speak Spanish and really my generation then not, uh, don't as well. Uh, but growing up, it was interesting for me because in our inner city neighborhood, we had a lot of uh, folks like uh, 
my wife, who is uh, from Puerto Rico, were part of later waves of immigration. And so, you know, growing up, we'd have neighbor kids kind of saying, well, why don't you guys speak Spanish? And we're kind of oh, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, kind of uh, studying the history of that was really important to me um, and really understanding the dynamics around that and thinking about ways that maybe we could kind of recover the language. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really important to me. So that was a big focus for me. And then, you know, given the timing with my graduating back in 2000, um, was already, you know, good opportunities for folks with a linguistics background to inform um, technology. And so my first uh, work from home job I alluded to was for a company that eventually got acquired by uh, Microsoft, but essentially was doing speech synthesis work. So helping make computers sound more human. Interesting. Okay. But from there, um, I know you eventually got into teaching yes. and taught for several years. And then um, from my understanding, you moved on to a more administrative role in the office. And uh, it, so that career took you to Baltimore. Um, right. I think you followed uh, Dr. Gregory Thornton um, right. to Baltimore when he became superintendent of city schools. But it, it's interesting to me that, you know, Dr. Thornton has since moved on, but you have stayed in the Baltimore area. Um, yes. Why did you choose to stay in Baltimore rather than, uh, I don't know, go back to Milwaukee? Yeah, great question. Um, so, you know, after that first year of doing that um, speech synthesis work, you know, it was, you know, one of the answers to your question around, you know, who has encouraged you and who has inspired and helped guide you. Um, of course, my parents were very central. Um, and in terms of, you know, my thinking and my getting into education, it was really my mother who basically said, you know, hey, you've got your bachelor's degree. You've always, you know, been either tutoring or serving even at Stanford as a teaching assistant, uh, in that case for American Sign Language. Um, but, you know, you seem to have kind of a knack and a heart for teaching others. And the school system could really use, you know, um, a teacher like you. You should go you know, talk with them. And so it was, it was pretty funny because this was uh, March of 2021, and, or excuse me, March of 2001. And um, in uh, talking with the school system, they said, oh, yeah, great. You know, we'd love to have you. We see you have a linguistics background. You know, we'll put you in as, a, as an English teacher. And I said, well, I, you know, I understand that you see that connection, but really my, my forte is math. Uh, so it would really, really be uh, much you know, happier and uh, effective probably teaching math. And, uh, and they said, okay, that sounds fine. Uh, you can start next week. <laughs> wow. And I said, well, I don't really know much about education yet, but I, I, I think I might have a stronger start if I start at the beginning of a school year. And also um, it was interesting because my wife's family had moved back to Puerto Rico um, just be- shortly before that. And so I said, hey, you know, Dagmar, let's, uh, let's use this opportunity. You know, I've been studying Spanish all these years, but I really still don't feel you know, completely fluent. Uh, let's use this time to spend some time down with your family. So we actually lived in Puerto Rico for five months. Um, so even though I didn't get to do kind of a study abroad program at Stanford, largely because of my wrestling commitment, um, I kind of did my own, you know, study abroad <laughs> post, post uh, back. And so um, really, it was a really great experience. Um, was working, you know, essentially as my father-in-law's uh, assistant and finally learned how to swing a hammer and, and, do some different uh, things in terms of a kind of a home remodeling type of work. Um, and everybody that we worked with was a Spanish speaker. So it was a really great experience all around. 
Wow. <laughs> That's the way to immerse you, put you on a construction crew yeah. <laughs> with yeah, lots so of other native speakers. Yeah. So once we got back, it was really great because um, I ended up getting assigned to um, what would have been my neighborhood public high school um, after having great public school experiences myself from third through eighth grade. Um, when my parents did move to the suburbs when I was in high school, ended up going to a, a parochial school uh, in the city, but kind of right on the edge of the city. Uh, and so in any case, what would have been the neighborhood public high school um, I would have gone to in Milwaukee if I had, uh, if we had stayed there, that's where I got assigned to teach. And it was teaching. Um, I was basically the bilingual math teacher, uh, which was really, you know, very rewarding all around for the reasons I've, I've started to describe already. Um, but then also just knowing, you know, that, you know, those kids were literally, you know, from where I was from. Um, and just like seeing the impact that I was having on them was just, you know, so rewarding. So I really fell in love with it. Uh, and, awesome. and, you know, when I got reassigned to a different school the second year, I was, I was really sad about that, but mm. um, ended up staying at the second school for another seven years and basically was very happy to be teaching. Um, I added a, a master's in instructional technology. So I was teaching both math and computer science um, during that, during that eight year span. And then, like you mentioned, you know, folks started uh, noticing my leadership skills as I was getting involved in, in coaching as well and um, started recruiting me into school leadership. And then pretty quickly after that, district leadership. Uh, so moving out here to um, to Baltimore after having been the first director of college and career readiness for Milwaukee Public Schools, you know, had a very similar role, as you mentioned here um, in Baltimore. So serving Baltimore City Schools as its first uh, executive director of college and career readiness. Um, and getting back to our original topic around connections, what I found, and this was largely, you know, my learning from folks who were leading in the field, um, largely out of uh, Chicago, coincidentally, was just realizing the fact that, you know, there's this approach that happened to have been described um, initially, and Stanford kind of coined the term of collective impact, um, but just this idea that uh, rather than working in isolation, if we can coordinate resources and coordinate efforts um, and align what we're doing, we can have a much bigger impact. Um, so I, I had created a, a network uh, around college and readiness in Milwaukee with 55 different partners. And we had some incredible results as far as increasing the rate of students completing the financial aid applications um, and just really move the needle there. And so when I got to um, Baltimore, I basically said, hey, a lot of these things that I was doing in Milwaukee, as far as you know, organizing and organizing for collective impact are not yet happening here. Mm -hmm. um, I can, in some ways, kind of run my playbook from Milwaukee. Um, and so basically created a, a network of 60 partners here in the Baltimore area. And just, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, being very more transparent. So I was able to help the school system to kind of get over that hurdle and be a little bit more open about, you know, the urgent facts of where we were. Um, and just really to let folks know, hey, here's the type of help that we need. Let's work together to you know help accomplish these shared goals, um, and so the that approach has um, not only been effective here as well, but um, I've been in the last three years, especially uh, sharing more and guiding more communities around the country and taking that approach. Mm -hmm. How was coming from Milwaukee to Baltimore different as far as uh, that collaborative impact approach? Like, mm -hmm. what were there? similarities that you that you could draw from or i, I guess I, i'm i'm curious what if you had to change your approach when you came to baltimore like was, was there some sort of difference in the culture here um 
there's a lot of similarities between Milwaukee and Baltimore. And I think folks from each of the two communities are sometimes um, not expecting that or surprised to hear that mm. for whatever reasons. Um, but, you know, for folks like us who look at a lot of data um, and do some benchmarking and comparing, you know, similar communities or similar data points, um, you know, in both cities, they're comparing to each other among a, a relatively short list. Um, but even in terms of the operations and kind of the um, economic history of the, you know, cities and, you know, some of the organizational pieces are very similar. So it was, I felt like it was fairly easy for me to have kind of a translation. I mean, even when you think about the types of high schools, for example, uh, even the types of flagship high schools in in Baltimore, each kind of have their counterpart in Milwaukee. Um, so that helped. Um, obviously, there are, you know, different um, kind of players involved. I, I would say one of the big differences for me and my work here is that there is a lot more expertise in education outside of the school system. Um, so there's a very large nonprofit community, mm -hmm. um, particularly in education. And so helping folks feel respected, honored, valued, and, um, you know, thinking about how they can all complement each other's work was um, really important to attend to. And um, I think that people appreciated, you know, my willingness to do that and not to kind of um, pit them against each other, which I think uh, sometimes is the default. Mm -hmm. I don't want to speak for you, but I, I've noticed in my my work and my roles and I guess in, in my own network that a lot of people in organizations in Baltimore can kind of work in their own silos. Yes. So having someone like you that can come in and say, well, wait a minute. And like I mentioned before, like see opportunities and help kind of guide people that would be the right fit for those opportunities. Um, that just seems like a really valuable skill. And now you're at a point where you're working with a national level organization and you're doing that at a national level. That, I mean, to me, <laughs> that seems like a really intimidating thing because that's such a broad market to try to, to try to help people with. Um, how, how's that been going for you since you've been working on the national level? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Uh, one of the things that's been great for me, just in terms of kind of not really trajectory, but just, you know, growth in with the relationships is the fact that uh, even when I was in Milwaukee, you know, for example, uh, somebody that I worked closely with at the National College Attainment Network um, had come out to visit Milwaukee. And so in terms of uh, the second part of answering our previous question, um, both Milwaukee and Baltimore also have larger collective impact uh, network work happening, like you alluded to with Baltimore's promise. I saw the good news yesterday about um, an announcement from Strive Together uh, mm -hmm. as far as they're making um, hitting a, a new milestone, which is exciting. So Milwaukee had a group that was getting formulated right around the time when I was organizing as well called Milwaukee Succeeds. Um, so that was um, that was. Um, uh, timely. And then, like I said, uh, folks from NCAN had come to visit Milwaukee and kind of hear more about the approach I was using. Um, and so they did a nice write up about that. And so that was kind of the beginning of my, you know, getting uh, connected more so with other communities nationally. And so when I came out to um, Baltimore, you know, obviously, uh, Baltimore being a little closer to DC, which is where NCAN was based, you know, kind of did some follow up with them as an initial start. Um, but also in terms of um, my next step after city schools, uh, since I worked statewide for the Maryland Business Roundtable for Education, mm -hmm. rather than thinking, 
you know, oh, I was working for Baltimore and now I'm working, you know, in the separate organization at the state level and kind of dropping a bunch of relationships and developing new ones. The way I saw it was, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I know Baltimore really well and I know what Baltimore needs. Now I have access to a state level network that can help meet those needs. Um, And I can, and I can learn about other communities and um, what they might need and how we, how we all can work together. So it was always about um, in some ways kind of pivoting with relationships, but also just continuing to grow the network. Um, And then when I spent that year and a half working for the Maryland business Roundtable for education, um, I had the opportunity to, to join a couple um, national advisory boards. So I'm on the national advisory board for the Center for Post-Secondary Readiness and Success at American University. And then I was also um, on the advisory board for um, Naviance, which is the, the market-leading um, college and career readiness platform um, in the country. Name, yeah. yeah, so um, so I've, I've been on those boards. I had been on those boards for you know a few years. And so then um, three years ago, when I uh, became a partner with Four Point Education, which works nationally, um, it was not... It is not a big lift to, you know, to have some national connections because I had already had some. So it was kind of a, a growth uh, process over time. I see. Um, and then one of the things that, you know, you know, I, I love to do is, is connect people. So it was just a matter of, you know, my scope just growing over time. And so, you know, it's connecting people in Milwaukee. I was connecting people in Baltimore. I was connecting people in Maryland. And so now it's it's nice to be able to say, you know, not only have I you know, worked in, you know, dozens of states that, but also to be able to say, oh, you, you know, you need an idea for, for that. I know some folks in Fort Lauderdale that are doing some good work on that. Oh, you're interested in examples of this. I know some good work that's happening in Philly or Providence or different places. And just being able to, you know, share those best and promising practices and in some cases, helping guide folks in the work as well. That's awesome. And I can imagine that kind of work is really gratifying too, when you see, Absolutely. when you try to make a connection and then it pays off that, it's like, oh, wow, I was a part of that. that, that Absolutely. I bet that Absolutely. would be really nice. Um, I, I haven't asked yet, and this may have just been like a, just out of the sequence of events in your life so far, but what what is it about college and career readiness specifically, which is, you know, that's the field you work in um, mm-hmm. primarily. What What is it about that field that lured you in initially? Mm-hmm. And why do you find it so compelling now to to stay with it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great question. So kind of rewinding back to that point, uh, when I first went into district leadership in Milwaukee, it was interesting because um, I kind of suddenly had uh, three different, very different um, types of district leadership positions on the table. Um, and I had to kind of decide which which way I wanted to go. I see. Um, and one of them actually was very, very specifically in um, essentially like data literacy and kind of data reporting. Um, that aspect. So I do have that interest um, and that, that kind of leaning. Um, but in talking with um, a principal of, of color who I went to for a little advice on, on the topic, you know, he was essentially kind of asking about, you know, what kind of impact did I want to make? And one of the experiences that I wanted to share with you uh, as well is just the fact that um, since I did find it so rewarding working with students, as I began to kind of move out of the classroom and then eventually out of the school. Um, that was kind of, that was, that was uh, hard for me. And so when I, when I was at the end of like, hard a, for you? How, how was it hard for you? Yeah. So at the end of my third month at central office in Milwaukee, um, I noticed I was just 
feeling really down, which is you know not typical for me, mm. and was trying to just reflect and understand like why, what's going on here, like why am I feeling so down, and just um, you know realizing it was as simple as the fact that you know for you know years it was you know having positive interactions with students, seeing students smiling, you know patting them on the back, giving them encouragement, and getting you know kind of a reciprocation in that regard, and then it's like three months of you know, grumpy adults, <laughs> you know, frustrated and stressed out, I see uh, what you, mean. Yeah. you know, and that's, that's about it. And so, um, kind of made a, uh, a commitment, uh, to myself that if I wasn't going to be able to work, uh, directly with students that I was going to have as big of an impact as possible. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I, and I know kind of fast forwarding back to the present, you know, working at, uh, you work at different levels, I mean, particularly the national level, but also, you know, with different communities, are you still able to engage in that kind of work where you're working one-on-one with students? Uh, like I imagine, you know, cause you're on the board of several local organizations right. um, and the one that sticks out to me or that, that I've, I guess, learned the most about is beat the streets, which right. is, you know, encouraging, uh, students in, in Baltimore to uh, get involved in wrestling programs and even starting wrestling programs like at some schools. Um, and I know you're the chair of the board, which doesn't necessarily always translate to working one-on-one, but are you able to get out and have those one-on-one interactions that you enjoy so much? Thanks. Um, yeah. So it's not, it's not as typical um, these days and, and given, you know, the level that, uh, that I was able to achieve. I, I think you might've seen, I even uh, came <laughs> out of retirement earlier this year and actually competed in, um, a last chance Olympic. I did. Trial, uh, yeah, I, saw that, right. mm-hmm. I, was, I was really uh, proud of you for doing that. <laughs> Thanks. So, um, with, with that, you know, from time to time, I will kind of serve essentially as like a guest clinician, uh, for them or others. Um, but for the most part, you know, most of my work is, is still indirect. Um, and so again, in terms of how I set my, my goals in my work, um, you know, again, making as big of an impact in terms of reach of students and, and communities is really important to me. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, as I'm setting, you know, kind of annual goals, that's, that's a big, a big piece for me. And with the work that I did, uh, this past year and, uh, come, I guess kind of coming into this year, that was my big reflection one year ago was that, um, when I joined four point, uh, one of, one of my main goals was, um, to have a positive impact on a million students. Um, and the Naviance platform is used by 13 million students. So that was my reflection of gratitude last year was like, wow, I'm really, um, really achieving the, the level of impact that I'm, that I'm hoping to have. Uh, but most of that is, is, is indirect, but, but again, I try to make sure that it's, um, at a few different levels. Yeah. I, I know goal setting is important to you. And I think if I'm remembering your story correctly, I think your dad encouraged that and you to start. Yeah, um, I would say, I would say uh, both. I think I had shared a, a video that also mentioned, you know, a couple of my other uncles, I think. Oh, your uncles too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my dad, like I mentioned, he mentioned, he had uh, made it to the state finals and his reflection back to me um, as a, as a, you know, young boy was the fact that, that was his goal was to make it to the state finals. And so like when he made it to the state finals, he hadn't thought about the prospect of winning in the final match, you know? And so he always made it clear to me, you know, to set, set that goal to, to actually win, you know? So I ended up 
um, I took that advice, uh, ended up being a, a three-time state champion in high school and, um, you know, with some additional encouragement and advice from a couple of my uncles, you know, also was um, a national champion during high school. And so uh, that was really instrumental for me. The interesting thing for me too, though, is that, and I've been sharing this more lately, uh, when I went to Stanford and that being an, at a new level, as far as the wrestling, especially, but really both areas, academic and wrestling, um, I, I didn't really feel like I had, uh, you know, a benchmark, if you will, or, or precedent to know what was it kind of an appropriate, uh, goal in a sense. And so I, yeah, so I kind of, um, kind of fell away a little bit from, from goal setting for, during that period as, as maybe ironic as that sounds. Um, and, and I felt like I did have some, some struggles largely because of that. Um, and it was only really pretty recently that I, um, have really been, kind of emphasizing that again and leaning into that. And um, I was wondering if you mind describing yeah. the process you use now, like you're talking yeah. about reflecting at the end of the year, um, yes. what is the process uh, and just for anybody that might be able to kind of learn something from what, what you've picked up over the years, what, what's that process you're going to go through here at the end of 2021? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and I was just sharing, you know, with my family this past couple of days about, how one of the goals that I had for this year, uh, I'm not going to achieve it this year, but it's, it looks like I will achieve it, um, you know, a week or two into January. So I'm, I'm certainly happy with that. Uh, so what I'll share, partly what I'll share is, uh, one of my other pieces of gratitude from this year is I got, I got back to really one of the original sources of my understanding around goal setting. And so there's a, a gentleman named uh, Lee Kemp who wrestled at Wisconsin. Um, got a, just an amazing story. He didn't start wrestling until 10th grade. Um, and wow, that is he, pretty late. Yeah, very late in, in our world. So uh, probably the most well-known amateur wrestler is a gentleman named Dan Gable. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the name. I haven't heard of Dan Gable, no. Yeah, so when he competed in, in the Olympics in, uh, you know, 40, 50 years ago, uh, nobody scored a single point on him, you know? And so he was, you know, on the, I think on the cover of sports illustrated and kind of set a new bar for athletes in general, cause he was working out, you know, seven hours a day, six days a week oh, um, to get there. <laughs> yeah. And then he ended up being a legendary coach as well. Um, but the amazing thing is that um, just a couple of years, three years after he won that gold medal, um, an 18 year old um, beat him. And it was this, young man, Lee Kemp, who had just started wrestling like three years prior. Wow. Um, and so when I was in eighth grade and one of my uncles gave me a set of cassette tapes of early sports psychology type of cassette tapes where Lee was being interviewed. And so uh, as a 13 year old, I was gleaning all this knowledge from him um, about the importance of goal setting and how to, um, you know, achieve your goals. Um, and so, and, and so the, one of the things I'm excited about for this year, as far as, you know, those pieces all coming together is I actually was able to, you know, reach out and connect with Lee, collaborate with Lee. And we did a collaboration where I, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to love this. It was actually a, a cross city uh, youth informed collaboration. So we did this wrestle for peace summit uh, in Milwaukee, which had some benefit for Baltimore as well. Um, wow. So it was really, really re rewarding all around. Um, but a lot of, you know, a lot of what he had, you know, sets out, um, and his guidance is just making sure that, you know, your, your goals are, you know, ambitious enough to pull you forward. Um, but also, you know, segmented in such a way that you're able to do the things that you need to do short term to accomplish them on a realistic timeframe. 
Um, so, you know, people talk about smart goals, you know, it definitely kind of fits in with that framework. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the biggest thing is really, you know, setting the goal is to be ambitious and then really believing in yourself and, and encouraging and challenging yourself um, to reach those goals. And so, uh, so that, that's probably the biggest thing is not to think small, you know, and think, think big and, and get after it. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I can uh, see if you don't mind me saying so I can see uh, like, if I kind of look over the span of what I know of your life, it, I can see where goal setting definitely made a difference as far as like your trajectory and the things that you've accomplished. So, thank you. yeah, thank that's you. really cool. Appreciate and that. is there anything available online about your uh, partnership with, or the work that you did with Lee Kemp? Um, there should still be some, uh, you know, evidence, if you will, of that. We had a, uh, we had a, uh, what do you call it? It's kind of a subdomain on the beat the streets website for a little while. Okay. Um, okay. And I think I'll go look had, for that. Yeah. I think it was uh, for a minute we had, uh, bit.ly slash wrestle for peace, uh, functional. I'm not sure if it's still functional, Okay, um, but yeah, really I was just saying for the show model. notes, I would go put the link to that. So people could check that out. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. We, it was very unique because, uh, we had a, a weekend that in the wrestling world would typically be, you know, Lee showing a bunch of technique and everybody trying it and learning it. And then maybe a little, even a little, you know, scrimmage or mini tournament at the end. And so we just totally, you know, rethought the whole engagement and design. And so what we did was we um, not only alternated between a little bit of that wrestling technique, but more importantly, some conversations about important topics, about having healthy relationships with others and with yourself. Um, so we incorporated some aspects of goal setting. Uh, but the wonderful thing is we were also able to bring back some of the program alumni from the program in Milwaukee oh, cool. and have them have them talk to the young people about careers and you know, the connection between wrestling and life um, and just have these wonderful cross-generational conversations that we usually miss the opportunity to do that. That's awesome. Um, oh, what kinds of projects are you working on now at Four Point? Um, what, what kinds of things are you, you proud of or excited about? Yeah, great question. Appreciate it. Um, and I want to share two things. One is, of course, the work with Four Point, which has been growing, um, but also have some new, uh, a new venture I, I want to share with you um, as well. So with Four Point, like I said, uh, just wrapping up, you know, year three. And the wonderful thing is, you know, for myself, uh, autonomy is, is very um, key. And so I, I love to be able to kind of select projects that are meaningful to me. And to, be able to, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and to be able to, um, you know, kind of recruit and um, work with, you know, people that um, I think are going to help make a difference and, and have a you know similar mind and heart about the work. That's awesome. um, so I've been growing a very um, diverse and impactful team over the past three years. So I've got a team of about a dozen folks now who mainly work uh, with me part-time, um, but are getting, we're getting more and more opportunities to work around the country. So I'm doing a ton of work right now in Texas, um, which is on a couple of fronts. One is not, in my usual wheelhouse of college career in life readiness, mm. uh, we're helping, um, I think it's now, you know, maybe 16 different districts to um, rethink uh, school. And so what, what we're doing, this is mainly elementary schools, um, but this is in connection with uh, the Texas Education Agency as part of kind of a statewide initiative. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we're adding school days, school days to the, um, the year, the calendar year. Um, but we're thinking about how can we make sure that, you know, teachers have more time to collaborate with each other, have more time for professional learning, 
but also how can students get more brain breaks? How can they have more enrichment opportunities, whether it be in you know the arts or STEM education, um, and basically make school more fun. Um, and so, a really important part and the the piece that we're best known for in that work is the community engagement work. And so, not just saying, "Hey, Central Office decided this is a good idea. Here's how it's going to be," but to say, you know, teachers, we need your input. Families, we need your input. Students, we need your input. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting that input and, and incorporating that input throughout the process. Um, so this the is a pilot that, program with uh, the, the equivalent of the Texas uh, Education Agency. Or yeah, that so, is the Texas Education mm-hmm. Agency. Yeah. yeah, so we worked with two districts last year on that. And then this year, like I said, we're working with, I should have the number clear. I, I lead on five of them and then we have another nine. So I guess that's 14 uh, total. Um, and so that that works really, yeah, that works really great. And then in the college career and life readiness, uh, my usual wheelhouse, um, just doing a lot of work lately, um, currently doing a career pathways program review for Fairfax County public schools. It's the 10th largest district in the country. Uh, last year created a five-year plan to help the city of Philadelphia, um, get a, develop a coordinated system for career connected learning. Um, also have been working, um, Throughout this year, like I mentioned, with Naviance to help sure, make sure that all the all the schools and districts are working with around the country um, know how to do this type of work better. Um, and uh, what else helped? Uh, one goal to do their first um, scale up statewide in Illinois, uh, and and lots of other work. So it, it's growing um, largely because again we're we're very um, invested in making sure that you know, young people who need it most have all the options and resources that, that they need in a thoughtful way. Um, and, uh, you know, folks are seeing the value of that. So we're, we're grateful. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, there's all sorts of things we haven't even touched on yet, which we don't have to, but uh, like, how do you find time in, in doing all of this work that's making a difference? How do you how are you able to hold boundaries for yourself, you know, take care of, you know, your own needs and, you know, make time with your family, that sort of thing. How, how do you find that balance of doing good work, but also, you know, taking self-care and everything that you need to, to stay well? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Um, so I'll put it back in the context of, you know, how my roles have um, evolved over the last, uh, you know, eight years that I've been here in Maryland. Um, so that, Things weren't in that healthy of a spot, to be honest with you, <laughs> when I was when I first got here, partly because um, so much work needed to be done yeah. um, in terms of every, getting everything organized. It can be overwhelming. Yeah. Um, not that much, not so much that it can be overwhelming, but just the fact that it's a huge time commitment um, and the fact that I was commuting kind of 45 minutes each way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a lot. Uh, I did have we didn't make the smart decision when we moved here um, to have our. Um, my mother and father-in-law move with us as well. Um, so that was really great because the, the boys were still young and, you know, needed some additional time. My wife was working as a nurse. Um, and so, so that was, you know, kind of a smart move on our part, if you will, and great having, again, multi-generations in, in, in the house. Um, so that's, that's kind of evolved over time. Um, sadly, my, my father-in-law passed away um, a few years ago, which, you know, has been hard. I'm sorry. Um, no, I appreciate that. But um, I think, and I think right after we moved here, I, you know, my wife got diagnosed with a very, um, very challenging, you know, painful nerve condition. And you know, if you look in some medical books, they say it's the, the most painful condition known to man. So um, that's been very tough. But um, since 
since I am not, uh, since when I shifted to working for the Maryland Business Roundtable for Education, um, that com- cut my commute in half um, and the workload was much more um, manageable. So that helped a lot. Yeah. Commuting, um, cutting community time makes a big difference. Yeah. And then for the last three years with Four Point, even though from time to time, you know, I do do a little bit of traveling to connect with my clients. Um, for the most part, it's work from home. And so that that's a big difference as well. And now Absolutely. the boys are all now the boys are all teenagers as well. So they're they're more independent and, mm-hmm. you know, need a different type of support. So um, I think timing wise, it's, it's worked out. I feel like I'm in a much healthier you know place uh, in, in that regard. Um, but it's really it's something that you have to keep in mind. And I think you know, for myself as well, one of the layers of that, uh, with my mentioning, you know, kind of being a scholar athlete all my life is just the fact that, you know, there have been times as well where I've neglected, you know, keeping up with my fitness and it's kind of either a vicious cycle or a virtuous cycle, you know, you got to kind of choose. And so, um, I've tried to be more intentional about, you know, you know, my, my working out and all of that. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. It's, it's good that it sounds like you're in a better place, you know, um, because it can be hard to hold those boundaries sometimes, but I'm, I'm glad you have the confidence to do that. Appreciate that. Yeah. I have a segment that I like to, uh, I like to have with everybody that I talk to, um, kind yeah. of giving your flowers. Yeah. And it's where I ask people uh, who they would like to give their flowers to as far as people that have made a difference in their life. Yeah. So I just wanted to pose that question to you. And we've touched on this a little bit already as we've been talking, Mm but off the top of your head, like who are the people that have probably made the most difference in shaping Rudy Wee's? Yeah. I think one of, um, you know, my like life hacks, if you will, is the fact that um, I try to put into action the idea that I can learn from anyone. Um, And so you know, I mentioned the influence, you know, of my parents and my coaches and my family. Um, but I do feel like, you know, I could go on all day oh, yeah. <laughs> with, with the list, you know, because I think with uh, like the, what you mentioned at the top of the call with regard to like the shoes and how that, you know, has still comes to mind, like same thing for me. Like there are so many different um, things that I find, you know, inspiring or motivating in different ways. And I think that that is really crucial is um, being able to kind of refill, you know, from different places in different ways. Um, I, I do, I think I will use the opportunity if it's okay to, um, to give some flowers to, uh, someone I've been kind of, um, trying to track down, track down a little bit, um, in connection with basically giving her, her flowers, um, with regard to the new venture I'm talking about. And so when I, when I was, um, you know, just a young boy, I mentioned having a great uh, public school experience from third through eighth grade. Um, my third grade teacher was actually um, Malcolm X's first cousin. Um, mm-hmm. And so she was just really um, a very empowering teacher. And so we had, uh, we had a, a usual routine. I think it might've, it might've probably been just weekly, um, but we would watch uh, this I think PBS, you know, documentary series called uh, eyes on the prize um, and just basically you know gave us a realistic look at the civil rights movement and, and the different challenges um, and not from a lens of you know look at all these bad things that happen but um, from a lens of of hope um, uh-huh. and a lens of you know showing us um, that that we could make a difference and so uh, I think if you've you know 
if you've been on LinkedIn at all lately, I've been sharing a lot of uh, articles just with regard to how important it is right now for us to lean into diversifying the teacher workforce Mm -hmm. and making sure that students have teachers that um, can understand and appreciate their backgrounds. And, you know, even the research shows that when students of color have teachers that are the same race as them, they report feeling more cared for, more interested in their schoolwork, more confident in teachers' ability to communicate with them, more desire to pursue post-secondary education. Um, And so what I've been um, starting to build is basically a community of uh, educators of color. And so from my own experience as a teacher of color in Milwaukee, um, and then from my research here at Johns Hopkins School of Education uh, toward my doctorate, uh, what I found is that we're just not providing new teachers with the type of level of support that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, new teachers are only getting a couple of mentoring sessions a year. And that's not just you know a Baltimore issue or Maryland issue, it's a national issue. Um, and 40% of US schools don't even have a single teacher of color. Uh, so, wow. you know, Mrs. Little made a big impact on me. Um, I was blessed to have, you know, many teachers of color during my public school experience, but I know that's not the case for most people. Um, and right. so the work that I'm doing is um, under the umbrella of, you know, a new venture that I'm calling Edifying Teachers. And I think it reflects our conversation as far as, you know, where my heart lies and the fact that I, you know, am wanting to make sure that folks have daily encouragement and have the support that they need and are, and are being connected. And so that's exactly what it's designed to do. And so I'm, I'm really excited about um, being able to kind of bring, bring this to life in 2022. That's awesome. I'm really happy to hear that for you. It, it sounds like you're in such a good place and it sounds like a lot of the things that you have wanted in life, not only in the past, but also in the present, like you're, you're able, you're in a position to be able to make those things happen. So I'm just, I'm really proud to hear that for you. You're doing really good work. Yeah, I appreciate that. And like I said, with, you know, with, with how I grew up, uh, you know, I, I approach each day with gratitude, you know, and that's really, you know, what's, what's more motivates me is knowing, you know, you and I shouldn't be having this conversation statistically, you know, there's a, a big data project that you've probably seen before the opportunity Atlas from Harvard, mm-hmm. Brad Shetty and his team, and you can drill down to neighborhood level data and if you drill down to my neighborhood, you know, given my background, um, I had less than a 1% chance. Wow. Makes it all the more remarkable yeah. that you've been able to, yeah. to go through what you've gone through. Yeah. So what I'm, what I've been trying to do then through, you know, my life's work is to, you know, rather than having, you know, other young people from backgrounds like mine have to have to also beat the odds, but working to change systems so we can change those odds. That's awesome. Man, I'm amped. Like talking to Rudy makes me want to go like review the goals that I'm setting. Like am I setting goals that are, <laughs> that are large enough? Uh, you know, are they specific enough? Can I, can I achieve them? Uh, I don't know. Like, I think what I took away from the conversation was, uh, you know, goal setting works. I think he's a good example of that. I'm also curious to learn more about Lee Kemp. Uh, the person that he mentioned, um, that's one of his role models. I know there's a documentary about Lee Kemp, and I think Lee wrote a book. So, you know, if someone's a role model for Rudy Ruiz, that's good enough for me to want to go check it out. Um, Thanks again to Rudy for talking with me. If you'd like to follow Rudy online, you can check him out on Twitter at Rudy Ruiz underscore MD underscore ED. I'll put that in the show notes. And you can check him out on LinkedIn at Rudy Ruiz 2. 
He's also founded a new organization called Edifying Teachers. And the idea behind it is they want to mentor and encourage teachers of color, which, you know, we, we have a shortage of. And I think that's going to be a huge, uh, a huge organization as far as the impact it's going to have. You can learn more about Edifying Teachers and uh, get involved there if you like at edifyingteachers.com. That's E-D-I-F-Y, edifyingteachers.com. But uh, that's all for now. I'll be back next month with a new episode of The Best Kind. Until then, thank you for being kind today. Take care.